You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to August. Welcome into a Monday edition of the podcast. Hope you all are doing fantastic out there. Plenty to get to ahead on this episode of the Locked On Cougars podcast. We continue our position previews, taking a look at the cornerback group as well as the strong end position for BYU. We'll talk about both of those on the defensive side of the football, as well as taking a look back at 1998 in BYU football history as part of the 100 seasons of BYU football countdown. Today's show, though, is brought to you in part by our good friends at the Locked On College Football Channel. If you have an interest in the SEC, the Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12, or ACC, we have a daily podcast focused on all five of those Power 5 conferences. Yes, even the Big 12, despite them losing both Texas and Oklahoma. But nonetheless, check out all those podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. All right, without further ado here on a Monday, let's dive on in. This is the Locked On Cougars podcast for August 2nd. 2021. What's up, everybody? I'm Jay Catch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. I work for the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah, as the executive producer of DJ and PK in the morning. But most importantly, thank you to you for joining us right here on your only daily podcast focused on all things BYU sports. Hope you all are doing fantastic, having a great day wherever you might be, and plenty to get to ahead on this episode of the show. But if you're just checking us out for the first time, make sure you hit that follow button wherever you might be listening in from. Also, make sure that you leave us a rating and review, especially if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. The majority of you still listen to us via iOS devices. Those ratings and reviews, we want five stars only, but the ratings and reviews are absolutely critical to our success and a big thank you in advance for doing just that all right getting going here on a monday let's talk about another position preview fall camp by the way starts this thursday players will report on wednesday based on what i was told by byu sports information last week the first official on-field practice is expected to be held on thursday and of course i will be out there covering it and hope that we will have a lot of fun along the way as you get ready for the upcoming season but today Today, we're going to take a minute and talk about BYU's cornerback group. And this is an interesting position because it is now a position that actually has quite a bit of upperclassmen talent. The unfortunate part of it is I feel like if you look at the talent that's on the list, none of them are necessarily standing out head and shoulders above any other player. And that's not, 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 not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just something to keep note of with regards to who we're going to talk about on today's podcast. Let's run down the candidates at both positions for BYU on their depth chart. In past years, they've actually listed what they call a left or a right cornerback. If you go back to the Bronco Mendenhall era, it was that boundary and cover corner spot. Well, this year BYU just simply went CB for both positions. That's why we're going to break them all down together on today's show. So the candidates at one position, uh, the first one listed is number five, D'Angelo Mandel, six foot two, 188 pound redshirt junior, backed up by number 29, Shimon Willis, five foot 10, 180 pound redshirt junior as well. Third string at that position, Jock Wilson, five foot 11, 185 pound junior, wearing the number 13. The other position, number two, Keenan Ellis, six foot, 183 pounds, 
also a redshirt junior. Number 11, Isaiah Heron checks in as the backup, six foot one, 175 pounds as a redshirt sophomore. And then backing them up, number 35, Ethan Slade, a walk-on freshman standing six foot, weighing 188 pounds. Now, the first five names that I mentioned are all guys that BYU fans are at least, I would hope, vaguely familiar with because you heard their names at different points. Jock Wilson, maybe not so much considering he was a junior college transfer who came into BYU last year, was thought that he would actually be a part of the rotation during the 2020 season, but then had a knee injury in fall camp that essentially ended his season. He returned to practice later on in the year, but never made a serious push for playing time, and now he will look to make an impression in fall camp. I like the talent base that these cornerbacks have to work with because a lot of them very tall. D'Angelo Mandel, 6'2", Keenan Ellis, six foot, Isaiah Heron, 6'1". They've got all the size, the requisite size, to be standout cornerbacks. I've been told that the most talented cornerback on BYU's roster is Keenan Ellis, but the fact of the matter is he's just not been on the field a lot. We haven't seen him get a lot of time and be able to show what he can do in a BYU uniform. It's been due to injury and other concerns that have kept him off the field, but if he's able to accomplish what I've heard he can accomplish, he would be a welcome welcome lead dog for the BYU cornerback group. D'Angelo Mandel has had many moments in his career as a BYU Cougar, both good and bad. He's had a penchant at times to get a number of personal fouls or pass interference calls. If he can cut back on that, there's no reason to think that he can't be the best pure cover corner on BYU's roster. He's got all the requisite size, the length, he's got the speed that you want to see there. But I really think this unit has a lot to prove this fall. If they can find a rotation of three or four guys who can prove to be capable in both zone and man coverage and free up their teammates to make plays elsewhere on the field. I'm talking about safeties, being able to really kind of look off quarterbacks and disguise coverages. You also allow uh, linebackers to play near the line and force teams into throwing downs where you, you know that on the back end that they're covered. That is going to unlock a lot of what BYU fans have been clamoring for through the five years that Elisa Tuiaki has been BYU's defensive coordinator. The biggest thing is, as we all know, and at least to this point you should know, that BYU is never going to go to a pure man cover system that Utah or other programs out there use. It's just not going to happen. The good news was in 2020 is we saw BYU actually have an ability to go to a man cover system at different points during the game. The most notable result of that, I feel like, was during that Houston game as BYU turned that game on its head and was due in no small part to the ability of BYU's cornerbacks in that game to man up with Houston's standout stud wide receivers and win their battles one-on-one. If that is something that continues on to the 2021 season, when you open up the year against the likes of Arizona, Utah, Arizona State, you've also got Washington State out there, USC, Baylor, there's a lot of skill talent that'll be facing these BYU corners, and they've got to be able to hold up in coverage. If they do that, BYU's going to be very well set when it comes to their defensive alignments, the way they set up, the disguising of coverages, all that stuff. That's going to unlock lock a lot of what BYU wants to do on defense. If they're not able to do that as upperclassmen now, well, it's maybe never going to happen, and BYU may have to look back to the drawing board with regards to how they go about recruiting for this position. 
One name to keep an eye on, and this guy, I think that if he's able to show what he showed in the junior college ranks coming to BYU, and he's actually a former guest here on the podcast, that's Jock Wilson. That knee injury last year knocked him out for the majority of the year, but he was very much in the running in the early part of fall camp before being injured that he was going to be part of BYU's cornerback rotation. So keep an eye on him. 5'11", 185 pounds, a guy who has previously played the position at a very high level at the junior college ranks. If all of that translates to the collegiate level, there's no reason to think that Jock Wilson can at least be a backup, a rotation guy for this position, and potentially could end up as a starter if other guys in front of him falter. Let's say D'Angelo Mandel still has issues with penalties. Let's say Shimon Willis, at times, his size has been a liability for him. I know 5'10", 180 pounds doesn't necessarily sound all that small, but compared to some of his teammates, he's not the biggest cornerback in the unit. If Keenan Ellis isn't able to be consistent on the field, there's no reason to think that a guy like Jock Wilson can't vault up this depth chart and show what he can do. So I really am intrigued by this position, but they've got a lot to prove if BYU wants to be the defense, I think that they imagine in their mind that they can be, but it's going to rely a lot on this cornerback unit, and I really like Gennaro Guilford as a position coach, and I know that he'll be hounding these guys, getting the best out of them that he possibly can. And like I said, if it doesn't work out now, when is it for these guys on BYU's roster? So it's just a time that BYU needs these cornerbacks to step up and looking forward to seeing how they perform during fall camp. And obviously, as we see them out there on the field over the 12 games that BYU has scheduled this fall. All right, coming up next, we'll look back in BYU football history, talk about the 1998 team for BYU, their final year in the WAC. How did things go? Well, pretty well, but we'll examine all of that here in just a moment. Today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends over at Built Bar. Absolutely love this company, my friends. I have been a big fan of Built Bar since the day that they became a sponsor here on the Locked On Cougars podcast and the Locked On Podcast Network. They send us samples all the time for new flavors. And I got to say, every time I see a new box show up from Built Bar, I get excited. The best part about Built Bars is they're healthy for you guys. The macros are absolutely incredible. Let's read some of the examples of what they've got for you guys. Look at this. 17 to 18 grams of protein, calorie ranging, calories ranging from 130 to 180, uh, only four to five grams of sugar, just four to five grams of net carbs. If you're doing the keto diet, this is actually a fantastic way to stay on track with that. Take advantage of the offer they have to you guys now. You can save 15%, 15% off your next order at built.com by using our promo code LOCKED15. I would encourage you guys to go over there. If you try them just for the first time, order the variety pack. It comes with two bars of every flavor they have available at that time. You can try all of them and I believe once you give them a shot, you'll be back to order more. I've actually got to go order some more this week. I'm starting to run low on my supply. So take advantage of the offer, Locked15 at Built.com, and get enjoying the best tasting protein bars and do it with Built Bar. All right, my friends, let's talk about our good friends over at First Colony Mortgage. What I love about this company is they had a very auspicious start. They happened to start up the same year the BYU wins the national championships. we got two different championship teams coming together talking about BYU as well as our friends over at First Colony Mortgage. 
What can First Colony do for you? I think it's probably a question you have. Well, it's everything you need to do with your housing situation. If you're looking to get into your first house, you want to capitalize on the equity that your home may have accumulated over the last year or so, or you just simply want to refinance and take advantage of the low rates that are still available, First Colony has that for you guys. They are a full service mortgage lender, meaning from beginning to end, they will have you covered. They take care of it all in-house. That's what I love about it. There's no having to go to multiple different locations or multiple stops to get things done. It's all handled by the First Colony team. Zach Hicken is our loan officer here on the Locked On Cougars podcast. And any financing you have with regards to your housing situation, Zach would like to be your partner and help you get it taken care of. Go to his website, that's hickenhomeloans.com to learn more about it. How do you spell Hicken? Good question. H-I-C-K-E-N homeloans.com. You can learn more about the process, learn more about Zach. Some of you may know him from social media and his time working in the media locally. Worked for KSL Sports and KSL TV for a time doing sports. A good, good friend of mine. And I promise that he will take care of you guys with this process. You also can contact him directly by calling him 801-380-0752. Once again, 801-380-0752. Zach would love to work with you guys. We love having First Colony being a partner with us here on the Locked On Cougars podcast and want you guys to take advantage of the offers that they have available to you now. So get to hickenhomeloans.com or reach out to Zach by calling him once again at 801-380- 0752. That's Zach Hicken, NMLS 2052216. First Colony Mortgage, NMLS 3112. First Colony Mortgage is an equal housing lender. And of course, First Colony Mortgage is a proud partner with us here on the Locked On Cougars podcast. All right, my friends, let's continue on with our 100 seasons of BYU football countdown and look back at 1998 for the BYU football program. And One notable game from this was the season opener in 1998, the only time BYU and the University of Alabama, yes, the Crimson Tide, have squared off was on September 5th, 1998. I vividly remember watching this game thinking, okay, Alabama hasn't been that good. They were, I think, 4-7 in 1997. Mike DuBose was their head coach. This was pre-Nick Saban, as uh, some of you might be wondering about. They weren't Alabama that we got to know in the last 10 to 15 years. Under Nick Saban, but still a very high-powered team. And BYU went to Alabama thinking, okay, we got a shot here. I've talked with guys like Derek Stevenson in the past about that experience going to Bryant-Denny Stadium. Said it was one of the most surreal experiences of their lives. Well, they went to Tuscaloosa and fell behind 14-0 in this game. And the game proved to be, it was all about Sean Alexander. Obviously, he would go on to have a stellar NFL career with the Seattle Seahawks. Well, he was unstoppable by and large for BYU. And BYU's offense with Kevin Federick at the helm held their own by and large. They tried to rally late. I believe they got within seven with 15 seconds. That was 15 seconds remaining, but were unable to get the ball back and fell 38-31. to And yes, It's a tight loss, but the game, if you remember that game at all, you will remember how Alabama just was able to run through and around BYU, and Sean Alexander just kind of had his way in this game. There was no doubt about that. Alexander uh, finished the game with 132 yards and five touchdowns. Absolutely incredible game for him. And John David Phillips, the quarterback for Alabama, very pedestrian game, 17 of 29 for 188 yards. But BYU did everything they could to rally back in this game. It just 
never was able to find the answer for Alabama's offense. But nonetheless, that started the season on a sour note. But the Cougars came home and absolutely trounced number 14 Arizona State in Provo 26-6. And this was a really weird game because if you look at the statistics for this game, and if you remember watching this, Owen Potchman was the man in this game. He hit four field goals to lead BYU to the victory. Kevin Federick hooked up with Ben Horton on a 74-yard touchdown pass. That was the only uh, passing touchdown in the game. Ronnie Jenkins uh, tallied the only other touchdown in the game for the Cougars. And it was until the fourth quarter that Arizona State even got on the board. Lindsey Jackson uh, took a pass from Ryan Keeley. And this game, pretty nuts, considering Kevin Federick's stat line in this game. Six completions, 20 attempts. Yes, he made he completed six passes of his 20 attempts for 166 yards. That 74-yard pass to Ben Horton, obviously the long on the game. Ronnie Jenkins, though, was a man amongst boys in this. I think he learned a little something from Sean Alexander. He tallied 30 carries for 178 yards, and the touchdown that he had, Reno Mahe, or Junior Mahe, as we knew him at the time, seven carries for 73 yards. So BYU really just ran roughshod over Arizona State kind of a flip of how BYU's usual thought process is with regards to their offense. They ran for 291 teams overall, 291 yards, not teams, 291 yards overall in this victory. And it was a big win for the Cougars, evening their record at 1-1. One and one. They followed that up with another ranked opponent traveling on September 19th to number 9, Washington, losing that game 20-10. to 10. So BYU off to a 1-2 and two start before welcoming Murray State, an FCS team, to Provo on September 26th. Sixth. They close out the month with a 43-9 route of Murray State and then opened October losing in Bulldog Stadium in Fresno, California, losing to Fresno State 31-21. So, as October dawned, BYU sits at 2-3, and three, but then they would go on to an absolutely stellar run. The following week, UNLV would come to Provo. The Cougars would take care of business 38-14. Then they'd go to Hawaii on October 17th, win 31-9. They beat San Jose State 46-43 in an absolutely wild game on October 24th, and then on a Thursday night, they blinked San Diego State 13-0 on October 29th. Okay, all of a sudden, they go from 2-3 and three to have won four straight games. They're sitting at 6-3, and three, and then November, they start rolling once again. New Mexico win that one 46-21. They go to UTEP, win 31-14, and then get by Utah 26-24. The Utes tried to rally late, but the Cougars get the victory there. As such, BYU sitting at 9-4, and 7-1 in the WAC by virtue of the fact that they beat San Diego State 13-0 head-to-head. They win the Pacific Division in the Western Athletic Conference conference and earned a right to take on number 17 Air Force in the WAC championship game, the final WAC championship game as it would turn out in Sam Boyd Stadium down there in Las Vegas. But the Air Force Falcons 12-1 and on the season overall. A stellar campaign for the Cadets. Uh, not the Cadets. What are they? The, the Airmen? I don't remember what. The Falcons. Nonetheless, regardless, they beat BYU 20-13 to in that WAC championship game. I'm sure a number of you probably went to that game. I was unable to attend but finishing second in the WAC, BYU was invited to take on number 10 Tulane in the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, Tennessee. And if you remember this game, whew, Tulane was really, really good. There's no doubt about that. And the Green Wave absolutely just took care of business, beating BYU 41-27. 
the Cougars, and I mixed that up. They were nine and three, seven and one going into that WAC championship game. Lost that game twenty to thirteen, dropping them to nine and four, and then ended up nine and five after losing to Tulane in that Liberty Bowl. But overall, the season for BYU a little bit of a down note to lose your final two games of the year. But considering what BYU kind of endured in the early part of nineteen ninety eight, and then rolling how they did late in the season, you got to take some comfort in the fact that BYU was feeling pretty good about themselves going into that WAC championship game. Went up against one of the better uh, Air Force teams of all time. Lost that game and then obviously uh, BYU just was unable to contain Sean King and Tulane in that Liberty Bowl game. Losing that one and Sean King had an absolutely monster contest it felt like. I'm looking at the stats here. 276 yards, two touchdowns. Okay, not bad, but Kevin Federick dueled him pretty admirably. 267 yards and two touchdowns in his own right. Federick did have an interception. Reno Mahe, 78 yards. Sean King did tally 117 yards rushing and a touchdown, so that's kind of where the difference came, but just a tough loss for BYU in that bowl game and finishing the year 9-5, and five. but we would set the deck for two major things with regards to BYU in 1999. The cracks, as I mentioned on Friday's podcast, were beginning to show in the whack, uh, kind of straining under the weight of having 16 teams that had different ambitions with regards to their athletic departments, especially their football program. Well, we would see the splinter group led by BYU and Utah go on to form what is the Mountain West Conference going into 1999 and a new color of uniform for BYU that we will discuss on tomorrow's podcast. Nike does a rebrand of BYU Athletics, a new shade of blue, the deepest shade of royal blue, as we will find out. We'll talk about that when we talk about 1999 on the podcast tomorrow. Uh, Just a couple of notes on the 1998 season for BYU was just the overall uh, tenor of the season. I felt like was fairly positive, but the stats bore out actually pretty good numbers. A rather pedestrian passing game still, though. Kevin Federick had all kinds of promise, it felt like. He finished with 2,718 yards, 16 touchdowns against six interceptions. Ronnie Jenkins, though, was the real star of this team. 1,307 yards, one of the finest individual seasons as a running back. 13 touchdowns, obviously proved to be the high watermark of his BYU career. Uh, Ronnie's still around. I've talked to him a few times over the years, but never really was able to accomplish once again what he did in 1998. Margin Hooks led the Cougars in receiving 732 yards and three touchdowns. Mike Regal actually led the Cougars in receiving touchdowns with seven on the season. And then the freight train, Rob Morris, led the Cougars in tackles, 147 total tackles, 114 of them, incredibly enough, solo tackles. Also added six sacks on the year, 16 tackles for loss, four pass breakups, 11 quarterback hits, a forced fumble, also had one interception that he returned for a pick six. A monster season for Rob Morris in 1998, but just kind of wanted to run down how things went for the Cougars that year. And as I mentioned, we'll talk about 1999 tomorrow on the podcast and some pretty big changes for the BYU football program, moving into a new conference for the first time since the 1960s, a whole new look for the football program with regards to their uniforms, and a pretty good season, all things considered, in 1999. We'll dig into all of that on tomorrow's podcast. Coming up next, though, we'll wrap up today's show with another position preview. We're talking about what we're calling the strong end position for BYU. Yes, another one of those what we're calling a hybrid position or a unique position on BYU 
values depth chart. We'll try and explain what it is coming up in just a second. Today's show is brought to you in part today by our good friends over at betonline.ag. You've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. They are the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Major League Baseball season is in full swing. You can track all of that action at BetOnline. But if you have an interest elsewhere, college football futures odds, uh, NFL futures, UFC, MMA action, the Olympics that are ongoing, no matter what your interest is, BetOnline is the resource for you guys to go place those wagers. Before the next pitch or the next game you're watching, head over to BetOnline.ag on the laptop or mobile device you happen to be using and check out all of the great sporting news. Check out their bonuses and even the contest information. They seem to be running new contests all the time. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website now. Use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus. Yes, a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit at betonline.ag. All you got to do is use that promo code locked on when you get to bet online and you'll be able to get that free money. It's all courtesy of BetOnline as they are your online sportsbook experts. All right, my friends, before we go here on this Monday edition of the show, let's wrap up uh, Monday with another position preview. And let's look what we're calling the strong end position. It says SE, and I don't necessarily know what the S stands for, but I'm calling it a strong end position because of the personnel that are listed at this position. One of them is a surprise name, I would imagine, for many of you. Number 55, Lorenzo Fawatea, listed at six foot four, 305 pounds, a redshirt junior. Uh, Lorenzo has been a standout when he's been on the field for BYU, mainly playing defensive tackle during his time as a Cougar, but I think the thought process is at this position that he comes in maybe weighing a little bit lighter than the 305 pounds he's been listed at previously, and plays more of what we say it would be a a big-bodied defensive end, more of a run-stopping defensive end. Think on first or second downs. He's out there alongside guys like an Earl Tuioti Mariner who weighs about 300 pounds and Natunai Samahe who's tipping it at 320-some-odd pounds. And you have four potential 300-pounders out there just to make life miserable for opposing offensive lines, make it tough to run on that team. And then maybe he comes off the field for a pass rush specialist on third down. That's the thought process behind this position, at least that I can surmise looking at this. And of course, as we get into fall camp and start talking to players and coaches, we'll probably get some more details on this. But I really actually like this position change. And it's not necessarily a position change for Lorenzo because he has struggled to keep on the requisite weight to be a force on the interior of the defensive line. Well, why not let him play as a heads-up guy playing on an offensive tackle and just take advantage of his skill set there? I think this is actually a welcome move for the BYU defense. And it kind of goes in line with what we've talked about previously on the podcast, where they're all about position versatility. They want to be able to be versatile on defense, put the right formation, the right combination of guys on the field, the best 11 out there for any given situation to give them an advantage on the offense. I think it's absolutely brilliant, and I think this is actually a welcome addition to the depth chart. His backup, speaking of Lorenzo Fawatea, include Hunter Greer, six foot five, two hundred fifty-eight pound freshman. Uh, Hunter obviously will have to grow a little bit if he wants to be the same size and do the same thing that Lorenzo Fawatea does. But Greer is a pretty strong, strong young man and should be able to step into this position. And then the other one that's listed is a guy who's transitioning from linebacker to this position. That's Cade Pupunu, six foot three, listed at. 231 pounds as a redshirt freshman. I would imagine he's probably spent the majority of the offseason trying to bulk up for this position change, but 
I really think that Lorenzo Fawatea is going to be capable of contributing at a high level at this position. There's no reason that he can't slot down inside on a passing down and be a menace on the interior of the defensive line on a third down. I Like I, like I mentioned, I'm going to reiterate this one more time, is that it's all about being versatile on defense, creating advantages where you can create them. And if BYU can get the right guys out there at the right times and the right situations, the right downs and distances, there's no reason to think that BYU's defense can't be as good in 2021 as it was in 2020. I know that they're replacing a lot of bodies on that defensive line coming out of last season, but the depth in numbers that BYU has along their defensive line should be a help or a boon or whatever you want to term it, an advantage for the BYU defense. And I'm hopeful that Lorenzo Fawatea, whether he decides to come back for another senior year, a COVID year after 2021, or he decides that he's done playing after this year, regardless, he is deserving of having a standout season this year. And I'm hopeful he stays healthy. He recently just got married to his longtime girlfriend, Chastina. So congratulations to them on that. But hopefully he has a good year this year. And if he decides that he wants to try professional football next after this upcoming season, or he wants to play another season for the Cougars, regardless, enjoy the time that you have with Zoe out there on the field as a Cougar fan. All right, that is going to do it for this Monday edition of the show. A big thank you for all of your support. It's been a fantastic way to start the week. We'll continue on with the position previews as we get closer and closer to BYU fall camp beginning. We'll also continue with the 100 seasons of BYU football countdown. We're almost to the 2000s, folks. Think about when we started, the 1890s. We've made it almost to this century. It's been a long time coming, but it's been an absolute blast all the same as we plug along here. And hope you guys are enjoying the countdown as much as I am enjoying researching and talking about it with you guys every single day. All right, that'll do it. A big thank you once again. Follow the show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Search out Locked On Cougars. Feel free to reach out via email anytime. LockedOnBYU at gmail.com is the email address. And as always, have a great day whenever you hear this. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast for August 2nd, 2021. And we will talk to you guys tomorrow. Thank you.